This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Hey, good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. I'm your host, Vincent Hill, coming to you, of course, from Atlanta, Georgia, as I do each and every Tuesday, 8 p.m. Eastern, exclusively from my friends on RadioInfluence.com and available for downloads on iTunes. Hey, I first want to thank everyone for the love of last week's show. I told you before the show started last week that I was holding nothing back, and I talked about a case that was very near and dear to me that happened down in Nashville where the officer of the year got assaulted by two thugs in James Casey Holmes' projects. And I also talked about the myth, the theory of an unarmed suspect not being a threat. And I mentioned how 57 officers had been killed in the line of duty since 2010 by a quote-unquote unarmed suspect. Now, I got a lot of love from my friends down in Nashville that are in law enforcement that aren't in law enforcement. But not only in Nashville, I got a lot of love from a lot of people from across the country. People were emailing me, hitting me up on Facebook, on Twitter. I thank you for the love. I actually got a personal uh, thanks, a personal shout out from Jerry Peacock over at RadioInfluence.com. He truly enjoyed the show. I thank him. I thank him for having me on his airway each and every week that I'm able to tell these stories and bring you these stories as only I can here on Beyond the Badge. Now, there's so much going on right now. There's the anniversary of Freddie Gray in Baltimore. And unless you were under the rock for the last year, unless you didn't have a television, unless you didn't have a smartphone, a newspaper, a friend, a friend of a friend, a cousin, a cousin of a cousin, everybody has heard the name Freddie Gray. Everybody saw what happened down in Baltimore, the riots, the city burning, the Black Lives Matter protest, all of that stuff. So here we are a year later, and I want to talk about how things really haven't changed in the city of Baltimore except for one thing, and I'll get to that in just a minute. But I want to talk about a shooting that happened not too far from me this past weekend, I believe on Saturday, early Saturday morning, uh, in Athens, Georgia. And for all my football fans, you know that's where the Georgia Bulldogs play out of Athens, Georgia, so there's a lot of football history there in that city. So there was a police shooting, and you already know where I'm going with this. The officer was white, the individual was black, and of course there's already people screaming racism, excessive use of force, all of this other nonsense that we always hear. But let me give you the rundown of what happened, and then you decide whether it was racial or whether it was, like I always say, officers have a split-second decision to make a life-or-death choice. And that crime brought this officer to the scene and not color. And by the way, the video is all already out. You can go to WSBTV here in Atlanta, WSBTV.com, and look it up. Just look up Athens police shooting, and the video is right there. So here's the rundown. It's about 3 in the morning. The officer shows up to a liquor store. He observes 22-year-old Justin Scott, Justin Scott, excuse me, pouring liquor into a cup, which 
is illegal, especially when you're about to get into a vehicle, because then it becomes an open container law and a possible DUI and all this other stuff. So this Justin Scott's coming from a club. He stops by the liquor store at 3 in the morning to get more liquor. He's pouring it in there. The officer sees this and approaches. Because? Why? Was it because Justin Scott was a black male? Or was he actually protecting and serving the community saying, Hey, maybe I shouldn't let this individual get in this 2,000 pound bullet with alcohol because he may give that alcohol to the driver. Or the driver may already be under the influence of alcohol. Hmm, maybe this officer was protecting and serving, Ah, but I digress. So, he approaches Mr. Scott, the officer can clearly see a handgun, clearly see, and if you watch the video, you can see the handgun. So what does the officer do? He pulls his service weapon, as he's trained to do, as his legal right says he can do. He gives several commands, get on the ground, drop the gun. In the video, you can actually see Mr. Scott reach slowly for the weapon. And what does the officer do? Imagine this. He shoots twice, center mass. But it gets better. A lot of people would say, oh, he shot him twice, center mass, then he had to have fallen to the ground, right? No. Mr. Scott begins to run. He flees. The foot chase goes on for several minutes before he's caught by another police officer. Now, all the while, he was also tased by the officer that originally stopped him. So he was shot, and he was tased, but he still got up and ran. He was caught. He went to the hospital for non-life-threatening injuries. So, now his family is saying the officer acted inappropriately. And one of his cousins was on the news saying that well, the officer, and this is his quote, I think that the officer should have handled it better. I don't think he should have fired because you could see that he was drunk. Lamario Freeman is the cousin who said this. Well, Mr. Freeman, you're an idiot because I don't know if you know this, but there have been several intoxicated people who have shot people in the past. Just because you're drunk doesn't mean your finger stops working where you can pull the trigger. It doesn't mean that your eyes stop working where you can bring a gun up to a target. It doesn't mean that because you're drunk, the bullet is going to say, Hey, sir, you've been drinking. Even though you pulled the trigger, I'm not going to come out because you've been drinking. So that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, that the officer overreacted because you should be able to tell he's drunk. I don't care if he's drunk, if he's high, if he just got baptized, if he is an atheist. I don't care what he is. The fact is, he attempted to reach for his gun, and I'm sure it wasn't just to throw it at the officer. He reached for his gun, and therefore, the officer was justified in his shooting. So, of course, probably here in Atlanta, in Athens in the next few weeks there's probably going to be some protests and Black Lives Matter movement all of this other stupid crap and again I support protest I gave 10 years of my life wearing a green uniform so people can protest just like this past weekend at Stone Mountain where everyone was in an uproar because 
this white power group was protesting and the black group was protesting and there was clashes and people asked me how I thought about it and I could care less if white power groups want to protest at Stone Mountain, a mountain that I go run on a regular basis. I could care less. It's their opinion. But I gave my life to this country for 10 years so they could have their opinion. So I could care less about the protest. What I do care about is the fact that you would protest something so stupid as to say the officer should have acted different because he was drunk. Okay. Whoop-de-doo. Because it would have been this again. He didn't do nothing. He was a good kid that was just out partying. He didn't deserve to die. Well, that officer doesn't deserve to die. And what do you think that Mr. Scott would have done if he would have got his hands on that gun? He would have had a shootout with police right there. And thankfully, 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 this officer was wearing a body cam which showed the entire incident. And Athens police and the spirit of transparency has already released the video. They didn't wait until people came and protested, like in Chicago or Ferguson or Baltimore. They didn't wait for that. They said, hey, people are going to say what they want to say. Let's show them what we got. And they're standing fully behind their officer, as they should, because this officer was fully justified. So for Mr. Lamario Freeman to say, oh, the officer should have acted different, you're an idiot, my friend. A complete idiot. I know, I know. I'm being too hard on Mr. Freeman, who, by the way, is a convicted felon in Athens and was arrested before for a probation violation. But I understand he's a good kid. He didn't do anything. Neither did Mr. Scott. He wasn't going to shoot the officer. He was just going to reach for the gun, point it at him and say, Look, Mr. Officer, please don't shoot because I've been drinking. I understand Mr. Freeman's point. The officer should have acted different. Uh, actually, no, I don't because you're a convicted felon anyway, so why am I even wasting my time talking to you or about you, somebody that obviously has had a run-in with the law before and obviously is a criminal and obviously does not understand what the hell use of force continuum actually is and what it allows officers to do when someone has a gun that they're about to use on them. So Athens, Georgia, watch the video. You will see exactly what I'm talking about. Again, I'm so glad that the Athens Police Department is standing behind this officer. I'm so glad they released the video immediately, immediately, and not let the city of Athens become the next Baltimore or Chicago or Ferguson, or anything like that. They did exactly what they were supposed to do. The officer acted exactly how he was supposed to act. To act and it's a clean shoot. Period. Now, on to Baltimore. And, of course, here we are, one year after the death of Freddie Gray. And this weekend, there was this rally in Baltimore led by Minister Jamal Bryant, who was all over the news when Baltimore first popped off and the riots and everything else. And he was one of those demanding police reform and how these racist officers need training. They need to be fired. Blase, 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 blase. Now, as you know, I always like to talk numbers. I always like to talk statistics. 
when I'm talking policing. So we look at Baltimore, here we are a year later. Has anything really changed since Freddie Gray when it comes to the interaction between police, whether they're white, black, Chinese, male, female, fat, skinny police, I don't care. Has the interaction between police in the black community changed in Baltimore? No. It Well, I, I, I stand corrected. I take that back. There is one thing that has changed since the death of Freddie Gray. And I know this to be true because I listen to a lot of police scanners around the country, especially the cities where all of this stuff has been in the news. In the city of Baltimore, since Freddie Gray, I can tell you that the officers, when they're taking someone to jail, transmit to the dispatcher, transporting one to jail who is seatbelted and secured. Because if you remember, that was the entire basis of the Freddie Gray case, that since he was not seatbelted in the back of the van, he was not secure, he ended up having a neck injury that killed him, and the police are ultimately responsible for his death, it's murder, blase blase. But if you look, if you look at history, if you look at things outside of what you've been told, and you take it from someone like me who has actually done that takedown countless times, and who has transported prisoners countless times. And I'll admit it, sometimes they weren't wearing a seatbelt. It wasn't that which killed Freddie Gray. I assure you, and this will come out in the trial whenever it goes back to trial, because the first officer's trial ended in a hung jury because they don't have a case. But I assure you, there was something in Freddie Gray's pre-existing injury that caused that neck injury, because you cannot convince me that this seemingly healthy 20-something-year-old male broke his neck in the back seat of a van unless that officer was slamming on his brakes and hitting brick walls and doing all this stuff that would cause the whiplash effect in Freddie Gray's neck, which they haven't proven, obviously, because the first trial ended in a hung jury. That injury that Freddie Gray had was pre-existing in nature. And it had nothing to do with those officers' actions. So, let's look at some of these stats since Freddie Gray. Violent crimes. In the city of Baltimore, 13.65%. Now, statewide, statewide, in the state of Baltimore, I'm sorry, in the state of Maryland, it's 4.6%. But Baltimore is at 13.65%. Do the math. Is it racist cops? One in the swarm on the black community? Or is it cops responding to crime, which are bringing officers to the black communities of Baltimore? 13.65%. The national median? 3.8%. Again, do the math. Is it racist officers wanting to come in? Or is it demographic crime stats that are bringing these officers in? Let's look at another one, and this one's really troubling. Crimes per square mile in the city of Baltimore. 472. Whereas in the entire state of Maryland, 61. 472. 
and 61. I'm not a math guy, but that's like uh, 300 something difference, I guess. 200 and something, 300 and something difference. The national median per square mile, crimes per square mile, 32.8. So Baltimore is at 472 crimes per square mile of a city that's 92.28 square miles. Again, I ask you to do the math. Don't do the race. Do the math. Again, if I was a police officer in the city of Baltimore, like I was in the city of Nashville when I was patrolling the projects of James Casey Holmes where that officer got beat up, I wasn't there and I wouldn't be in the city of Baltimore in the projects because I'm black and I just got this vendetta against black people. I would be there because my unit commander, my precinct commander, whatever they call him in Baltimore, would say, hey, we've had a rash of crimes in this area, so we need 20 officers to patrol right here for this problem. Or, we've had a rash of shootings in this area, we need 25 officers to patrol in this area. Whereas, we've had two calls for service in this area, so we can probably get away with sending just three officers here as officer presence to patrol that area. Because, what brings police to an area? Crime. And, please, 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 do me a favor. Get on the scanners. Listen to the city of Baltimore. Listen to the calls that go through. I was listening to it this past Friday night. There was a shooting, a bullet hole on top of the car, the guy grazed in the head. He didn't want to report it. He didn't want to go to the hospital. But there was a shooting. And this is right around the anniversary of Freddie Gray. And then I look at a city like Chicago when I switch over to their police scanners. And there's multiple calls, multiple calls of shots fired. And it's so bad that one officer said, nah, I can take care of it. Then he said, well, you can cancel that. There's no shots fired. And then 10 seconds later, the dispatcher says, I'm getting multiple calls again of shots fired calls. Now, do you think these officers were responding over there just because, ooh, I'm going to go shoot, see if I can shoot a black kid? Like a family that's suing the city of Chicago right now, who, by the way, the kid had a gun and had shot at police. Do you think they responded just because, ooh, ooh, I want to go shoot a black kid. No, they responded because they got dispatched to a call for service and they reacted to the situation that they were presented with. So when you go to a call about a guy with a gun, I assure you, you're not getting out of your car with your pepper spray. I assure you, you're not getting out of your car with your baton. I assure you, you are not getting out of your car to do verbal judo, which is Sir, I understand, but please, sir, please, I understand your th No, you are not thinking that. Just like in Athens when the idiot says, he should have known he was drunk. He didn't have to shoot him. He should have known his state of mind. That bullet has no state of mind. That bullet goes exactly where I point it and pull the trigger. That bullet doesn't think. It has no feelings, no emotions has no nothing. It has one objective, to destroy a target, whether it be a paper target 
are a human target. That is the only objective of a bullet, to destroy the target. So, Freddie Gray was arrested April 12th, April 12th, 2015. Now, since his death, let's look at it from an anniversary standpoint. On April 12th, 2016, there were 559 crimes in the city of Baltimore. 559 calls into the police that said, hey, there is a crime being committed in the city of Baltimore. 559. That is a lot of crimes for such a small, condensed area. There was a shooting. There were multiple robberies. There were multiple burglaries, multiple assaults. There's an arson. Whoo! It just goes on and on and on. I'm looking at it. You can go to spotcrime.com and key in Baltimore. It will tell you by date. So you know I'm not making this stuff up. But a ton of robberies, burglaries. Oh, that's two shootings, a lot of assaults, and not as many arrests as there are calls, because it will tell you where there is an arrest made as well. So, for all the crime that went on, the arrest rate was low. That's because the bad guy got away. The bad guy ran away. The bad guy ran from police, kind of like Freddie Gray did on April 12, 2015. The police were investigating a known criminal, he ran, he got arrested, he died a few days later on April 19th, 2015. That's how it works. So let's look at April 19th of 2016. 404 calls into the police station in the city of Baltimore where a crime had been committed. 404. Now this is on the anniversary, on the death of Freddie Gray, but I thought that city was so in an uproar and needed justice for Freddie Gray and the black community and the things that happened in the black community and it's this systemic racism that is causing the problem in the city of Baltimore well no because let's look at, at uh, April 19, 2016 shooting, assault, theft, theft vandalism, assault, assault, assault theft, robbery Theft, assault, vandalism, burglary, assault, <laughs> shooting, another shooting. That's two in that day. Burglary, burglary, vandalism, vandalism, assault, 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 assault. And the list goes on and on and on. And guess what? The arrest rate for that day wasn't as high as the crime rate. What does that mean? It means a few things. There's more criminals than there are police. The criminals have a better chance of getting away faster than the police can respond. And if you don't think it's true, I think back to about two weeks ago when I was listening to Baltimore's scanner and the dispatcher said, hey, we have a person with a weapons call that has been holding since 11.15 this morning. And that was at about 5.15 that evening when I was listening to the police scanner. So that tells me, A, you have more criminals in a confined space, then you have police officers. But again, people want to preach that it's systemic racism. Hillary Clinton wants to preach that it's systemic racism. Bernie Sanders wants to preach that it's systemic racism. President Obama wants to preach it's systemic racism. The Department of Justice, who made themselves look like idiots when they went to Ferguson and said, uh-oh, I guess that officer was right. 
still want to preach that is systemic racism. But here's a term that I've coined, and you've heard it before. It's not racism. It's crimeism. Crime is what brings police to an area. Crimeism is simple. Just like racism is simple. Certain people don't like other people because of their race, the color of their skin. Crimeism is really simple. Crime happens, police come in and they do what they have to do to deter, prevent, and protect. That's crimeism. So, when you have crime going on at 472 per square mile, which totally outweighs the number of officers you have, by the way, and you have police that come in to fight that crime, that's what police do, is crime fighters. It ain't Batman, Superman, it's police. That's crimeism. They come in to fight the crime. And if the criminal happens to be black and the officer happens to be white, guess what? The officer is going to deal with the criminal. The officer is going to use force against the criminal. It almost goes hand in hand in high crime rate areas. And people don't understand this because people in high crime rate areas like to fight the police. They like to run from police. So guess what? Police are going to use force. It's almost an integral part of each other. High crime, use of force. Because people want to fight police, they want to run from police, therefore police are going to chase. It is the nature of the beast. It is the nature of policing. Does it make it racial? No. And as I said last week, racism has been around long before this thing called policing. It will be around long after all of us are gone. It's not going to change. But we cannot use racism as the scapegoat for everything that happens in the black community and their interaction with police. We have to focus on what the real issue is. Systemic racism? No. Does it exist? Yes. We all know this. It's been here. We would be foolish to say racism doesn't exist. But does crime exist? You bet your butt it does. Does it exist in the city of Baltimore? Well, on the anniversary and the death of Freddie Gray, where the city burned to the ground, almost, when there were riots for days, there's still 404 crimes on the anniversary of his death. We have a crime problem. The same people that destroyed and looted the city of Baltimore and broke into all these stores and took stuff in the name of Freddie Gray really didn't care one crap about Freddie Gray because had they cared about Freddie Gray, those same people would have made sure he was walking on the straight and narrow for one thing. And had they cared about Freddie Gray and wanted to honor Freddie Gray, the crime rate in Baltimore would have gone down because people are always saying, we're tired of police coming into the black community. But nobody wants to reduce crime. Nobody wants to focus that crime needs to stop. Here's an idea for the city of Baltimore 
Chicago, Ferguson, all these areas. Try not having any crime for one day and see how many police show up. Because police get dispatched to their calls. Unless they're doing a traffic stop, which is a non-dispatchable piece of policing, it's self-initiated by the officer, all their other interactions with the community, with people, are dispatched. And you know why they're dispatched? Because someone calls in and says, my boyfriend's over here beat me up. He won't leave. Oh, we got a domestic. Three people just broke into this house with guns. Oh, we got a home invasion. One person just went in the store with a gun and demanded money. Oh, we got a robbery. That's how police get dispatched to calls. That's how they interact with the public, with the black community. So here's an idea. For one day, and I challenge the city of Baltimore, the city of Chicago, the city of Ferguson, New York, all of these cities, Minneapolis, Minnesota, all of these cities where the Black Lives Matter movement have focused their agenda for the last two, three plus years. I challenge you, I challenge you, and I'm almost willing to bet whatever money I have, which isn't much, that if you don't do crime for one day, see how many police are there. Because what are they going to have to do? You may see them driving around because you still have the need for officer presence. That will never go away. But will they need to get out of their car and chase somebody who matches the description of someone who just carjacked someone? Like in Chicago when Laquan McDonald, I'm sorry, when uh, the other kid got killed who had just carjacked someone because he matched the description and he happened to be in the car that was carjacked? No. Will... It come down to a Michael Brown who matched the description of someone who had just robbed a store and then was told to get out of the street and didn't do it. And then the officer realized, hey, this is the guy that robbed the store. Will that officer have someone to shoot in the line of duty? No. Will the officer in Athens, Georgia, had this individual not done a crime there, had a reason to shoot him even though he pulled a gun on him? No. That is a very simple concept. Don't do crime. Police don't show up. You know, when I worked in Nashville, there were a few areas I never went to. Not because I didn't want to. We didn't have any calls there. There were areas of Nashville that the only time you really saw a police car is if the police was just driving through to get to somewhere else. Because there were no calls for service there. You would have your occasional domestic which is really not a social economical situation there's people that beat their spouses at every economic level but as far as robberies shootings assaults all of this other stuff that i did see at james casey homes that i did see at subtle court when it was still there another housing project in nashville we got calls there all day every day from a detail, which is the day shift, B detail, the afternoon shift, and C detail, the midnight shift. Constantly, constantly. And again, it wasn't because I wanted to be there to harass people. It's because that's where I was assigned. 
because of crime. So Baltimore, Chicago, Ferguson, New York, try it out one day. No crime. Just try it out. Then what will you have to complain about? What will you have to complain about? Nothing. But here's the thing. You can't do it. You can't do it. You know why? Because all of those people, again, that looted in Ferguson, in Baltimore, New York, Minnesota, all of these places, the real people that care about the issues weren't the ones looting and rioting. It was the same ones that are now these 404 calls for service in the city of Baltimore on the anniversary of Freddie Gray's death. Those are the individuals that bring the police into the black community. So, if you wanted to stop, go talk to those 404 people. Go talk to those people in the communities shooting and robbing and assaulting and saying, hey, we're trying to clean up our neighborhood. Stop blaming systemic racism on the issue at hand. It's crimeism. Has nothing to do with race. Because you have a white officer in a black neighborhood. Well, let's look at another stat. The majority of police in this country are white. Hmm. When I worked East Flex, I was the only black guy on a team of six people. Hmm. That was because, and it still is, the majority of officers in the city of Nashville are white. Does that make them racist? No. That makes a bunch of people that at a very early age, for whatever reason, wanted to get in law enforcement. Or maybe at a later age, they wanted to get in law enforcement. That's why people get into law enforcement, because they have a particular reason they wanted to get into that field. But let's look at it demographically. Let's look at it statistically. The majority of your major cities, with the exception of probably Atlanta, the majority of the officers are white. Again, nothing to do with race. Those white officers are going into the black communities because of crime. No crime, no police. You'd think the city of Brentwood in California, where all the millionaires live, see police all day, every day? No. But I assure you, Compton, Long Beach, places like that, see police all day, every day, because of crime. Let's get it right. Let's stop saying it's racism. Let's focus on the real issue, crime. If you wanted to stop, fix the crime, and I assure you, it will stop. And with that, I want to segue into my roll call, and I want to focus on a Baltimore police officer who was killed March 13, 2001, Michael Cordy Jr. He was an agent working plain clothes, part of a task force. He and his partner were questioning two suspicious individuals in the city of Baltimore when one actually pulled out a 357 caliber pistol and shot him in the head and the upper chest. Officers returned fire and arrested the individual who was now, of course, sentenced to life in prison as he should be, but that just goes 
to show you what I've been talking about concerning the city of Baltimore and concerning police. And by the way, this officer happened to be African American. He wasn't white, but that goes back to what I said. He was in the black community because that's where he was assigned to do his job because of crime. And obviously there was crime going on because he is now dead. His family has to live with that for the rest of his life because he was fighting crime in a high crime area in the city of Baltimore. So to the Al Sharptons and the Benjamin Crumps and whoever else, get off this systemic racism crap and let's start focusing on the issue and the issue in the city of baltimore is crime hey thanks for listening i appreciate you so much i love you i'll see you next week i'm signing off to continue the conversation get updates on the show and to find out when you can see him on television follow vincent on twitter at vincent hill senior that's vincent hill sr This has been Beyond the Badge with Vincent Hill on Radio Influence.